Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, April 2nd, we're studying Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. Jesus has died, and now he must be buried quickly before the Sabbath begins. An unlikely disciple takes courage and performs this holy task. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. Pastor Wheatfelt serves as the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Pastor Oppel. It's a great joy to be with you once again. How are things going there in Fort Wayne? What events do you have coming up? Yeah, things are going great here in Fort Wayne. We're just plugging away, getting things done, and uh, having a good old time doing it. So we just had our uh, Springs Prayerfully Consider event here uh, just uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, last week. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of things as, as, as towards in the springtime as, as life begins to come back uh, into uh into the ground and into the, in, into the nature. So our eyes are always drawn out there. But a couple of weeks ago, we had our perfectly consider event. Uh, and then we've got our Christ Academy high school event coming up here. Uh, the last full week of June and the first partial week of, uh, j- through the first partial week of July. And then, uh, Lots of things happening uh, over the fall of this next year. So we've got a confirmation retreat uh, that will be happening in the fall as well as um, as well as our uh, college academy happening at the end of October and our another Prayerfully Consider event happening uh, at, in the middle of October. So check out our website, ctsfw.edu. Take a look at our events. Uh, if you're interested in talking about possible studies at the seminary, uh, reach out to us either at uh, via email at admission, one word admission, at ctsfw.edu, or give us a phone call at 1-800-481-2155. Love to be able to have the conversation with you. Fantastic. That's uh, the the work being done at at the seminary is so important, particularly on a day like today. This is this is Good Friday, the day of our Lord's death. We're looking at a an incredibly important text in the Lord's burial today and and to be able to train men, servants for the gospel to go forth and proclaim that good news, how important that is. Thanks for the, the faithful work at, at Concordia Theological Seminary. So, Pastor Wheatfeld, we are looking at the end of Mark 15 today, the burial of Jesus. We'll, we'll spend time talking about it, maybe sometimes a neglected text when we think about the events of our Lord's passion and death. Sometimes we just sort of skip over the burial. We have an opportunity to dig into that a little bit today. In terms of the lead up, though, everything that's been leading to this moment, coming into the Gospel of Mark, what do we need to know going into our text? Absolutely. So, Mark, as we've been talking uh, the entire time working through the Gospel of Mark, Mark is a fast-moving Gospel. Mark, at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, we don't have a birth narrative like what we see in Matthew and Luke. We don't have many of the other pieces that Matthew and Luke include at the beginning, whether it be a genealogy, what have you. He jumps right into it and and goes at it. And the ministry of Jesus is done uh, quick, quick, quick. Uh, He just keeps on moving, moving, moving with that do word, uh, which is always pushing us forward. Uh, in, in, in the way of the gospel. But we, we, we come to this crucifixion, we come to the crucifixion and everything slows down. Mark uh, moves fast until he gets to the crucifixion. And so even in 14 and 15, uh, we've got the plot to kill Jesus. We've got the anointing at Bethany. We've got Judas betrays Jesus. Kind of this Bethany um, action going on. Um, kind of circling that. Then Jesus moves to Jerusalem, where he does the Passover with the disciples. He and he institutes the, uh, the, his his supper, the Lord's supper, and then at the at the Passover meal, at that first Lord's supper, uh, Jesus foretells of Peter's betra- or Peter's denial. Excuse me, Peter's denial. It's Judas's betrayal. Peter's denial. Then they move to Gethsemane, and you have. Jesus praying, the disciples falling asleep, 
Jesus calling them back to pray and be faithful with him, but the disciples uh, continuing to fall asleep. Then Judas uh, does the actual betraying, uh, and Jesus is arrested. And then the, a, this little snippet of a young man fleeing, uh, some scholars uh, saying, you know, that is, is that the person Mark, who we saw earlier in the gospel, as well as the rich young ruler? Who knows? Um, but there could be some, the gospel writers like to kind of you know, put themselves in, in show, showing themselves as, hey, I was there. I saw this. It's all good. John is the one that does it the most at the end when he, when he talks about the crucifixion, that I witnessed this with my own eyes. Um, as he continues to to talk about um, uh, his his relationship with the whole of that historical moment, but the young man flees, so that's the Gethsemane chunk, and then at the end of fourteen, uh, we've got Jesus. Uh, we have uh, we're at the Sanhedrin, we're at the council where Jesus um, or Jesus goes before the council of the Jewish leaders, and then at that same time, Peter betrays or Peter denies Jesus. 15 moves into going over to uh, where Pilate is in Jerusalem. And so you move from this Jewish space to this Roman space where Jesus goes before Pilate and then he's ultimately delivered to be crucified. From the other Gospels, we know that's beaten and uh, tortured and all that other stuff before uh, Jesus is crucified. And during that time, then the soldiers mock him also so that's that's another kind of snippet of, of of stuff and then things start slowing down jesus they get jesus to the cross they put him on the cross and uh, uh, finally then jesus ultimately dies with the centurion uh, being a key player here in the death of jesus as jesus dies breathes his last saying, truly this man was the son of God. And um, it gives a picture of the onlookers with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and uh, Joseph and Salome. Um, So we see that those women are going to be very important as we continue to move on. And then today, as we we, we look, we have the burial of Jesus. Hmm. What you're saying there about the text really slowing down and, and how Mark is, is going to highlight these events because he just slows it down so much it is, is very important, I think. And it's true here with the burial of Jesus. And as we prepare to look at the text, I just in Dr. Veltz's commentary on the Gospel of Mark, he notes that in the Greek in verses 15 excuse me, 15 verses 33 through 39, the Greek has 106 words there. And in the burial of Jesus, the Greek has 101 words. So in in a moment where you might expect Mark to speed things back up again, he actually devotes a considerable amount of space to this event, to the burial of Jesus. And so even though it may seem short and it's, you know, in the creed, we confess it with just one word. He, Jesus was crucified, died and buried. And that's that. This is an important event. Mark spends some time on it and it's good for us to reflect upon it, particularly as we observe our Lord's passion and death on Good Friday. So Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. That is the text for today, Mark 15, verses 42 through 47. Pastor Wheatfeld, as we get started, take us into the timing of this event. Mark starts verse 42, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation. Why are these events, this timing of the matter important? Yeah, so it's it's marking out for us exactly when different things are happening at different times. I mean, I think partially to help save uh, face for the Jews, for but also to help us understand the marking of when 
Jesus, uh, the, the, when Jesus was where he was at what time. The, we, there's the, the, all, whenever one talks to folks who are trying to disprove, whether it be uh, Jesus's resurrection or disprove the biblical uh, accounts of how this all went down, and and especially the prophecies, there's always Jesus's prophecy that he'll be in the he'll be in the grave for three days, um, and. You know, when we think about that, we think it's like 70, where we think it's 72 hours. As when we hear three days, we think it's 72 hours. Where Jesus is actually, I mean, he's in the grave, uh, you know, a, a total of 36 hours potentially. Um, but at the same time, we have to realize uh, it's Friday, end of day, all day Saturday, and Sunday morning when he ultimately rises. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. So this, this, this time, the way that this time works, uh, when it says early evening, we're talking like 4 or 5 p.m. Uh, it's starting to get dark out, uh, but it's not, it's not the complete shift of the, to the next day yet. So it's still Friday. And what, the, their, Mark is very particular about that because he says, be, since it was the day of preparation, Friday, still Good Friday. He wants to make sure that we understand that this is the time that it's happening. The day before the Sabbath, the day before Saturday, or our Holy Saturday. So these are all very, very important things. And it's also important from a theological perspective, simply, um, you know, that Jesus is prepared, uh, has been prepared for his rest in the tomb on the day of uh, the Passover, and not just the Passover, but a Passover that comes on this this particular Sabbath day. Uh, Jesus, as as our as God our Father gives and gave our first parents Adam and Eve the Sabbath as a day to rest. So also our Lord rests from His work on the Sabbath too. So I think that's just a neat theological point uh, to see that you know. Jesus, like us, follows uh, his father's law in regard to resting on the Sabbath. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of things with the timing. As you as you said, the fact that he's died on Good Friday does mean that he is in the tomb for three days, as he has said, right? That, as you said, they would have counted it inclusively. So just because it's not 72 hours, that's not their conception of a day. If you're in the tomb for part of Friday, that counts as a day. And so yes. he's he's there for three days, as he said. So establishing that fact, again, goes to a theme that we've seen throughout Mark, that Jesus' word is reliable. And then, as you said, the, the fact that Jesus rests on Saturday, the Sabbath day, that, that has theological implications as well. I, I go back to what Jesus said very early in the Gospel of Mark and some of his initial controversies with the religious leaders. They revolved around what counted as work on the Sabbath. And of course, you know, for the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders, the things that they saw Jesus doing, they said, well, that's work, Jesus. Why are you doing it? Or why are you letting your disciples do it? And in response to them, you know, Jesus says that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And I mean, I think this, this rest that Jesus has in the tomb fits in with that picture, that, that he has that larger picture of the Sabbath in mind that's not just about, you know, how far did I walk on a particular day, but it really has this very event in mind that, that he's going to rest on his Sabbath. That is this Sabbath that's going to be Holy Saturday. It's also striking to me along those same lines that Jesus' own followers, despite what the accusations may have been from Jesus' enemies, those followers of Jesus were quite serious about observing the Sabbath. I mean, Joseph of Arimathea wants to make sure this happens on this day so that he can keep the Sabbath the next day. And the the women who are there watching and who will go to the tomb on Sunday morning, they too had been concerned with keeping the Sabbath. It In, in that way, the, the actual care that the disciples of Jesus show to observe the Sabbath, it, it ends up highlighting the hypocrisy of the religious leaders a little bit in the way that they had attacked Jesus previously. Absolutely. I think it, it, it really shows that, and I, you know, I, I heard one, some, a scholar who was trying to be negative about this say, oh, it just show, shows the, the lack of seriousness that, that the, uh, that Joseph of Arimathea or the women 
took uh, with the ministry of Jesus. No, I don't think that I don't, or that they didn't believe that he is, he was the Messiah. I don't think that that's at all. I think it's that they're, that they are taking, they are going back to what they know what they knew and what they had, what Jesus had also said for them to do. He didn't, he said he did not, he, 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 over and over and over again. I mean, he, he shows that even though like when he says, yeah, man is man, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, man, not for the Sabbath. Uh, when, when talking about the, uh, when we're talking to the Pharisees as his disciples are plucking the, 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 the heads of, of, of wheat uh, in order to eat them, uh, he also uh, helps them see, uh, you know, that the law is not a bad thing. That the law is something that he, he's not coming here to obliterate the law, but to complete the law. Uh, I believe as Paul says, um, that he, he's just the culmination of the law and the fulfillment of the law. So these, these people are going back to what, what, what Christ himself has even shown and, and, and done through for them and, 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 and for, through them. And ultimately, you know, we'll see him, we'll see him rise again. Uh, but it, they're going back to what they, what they, what they do and how, where they, where they could live comfortably in. Now, with the time in place, it's the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, it's evening, so it's not quite the Sabbath. The main character in this account is a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Mark tells us he is a respected member of the council. He's also looking for the kingdom of God. This is the first time we meet Joseph of Arimathea. Tell us a little bit about who he is. Yeah, absolutely. So Joseph of Arimathea, as the text uh, itself indicates at first, he's he is a member of the council. And being a member of the council, uh, he is one that would have been a part of, say, like the trials, what have you. Frankly, he may not have even been at the trial of Jesus itself. In um, Let's see, it's in, uh, let's see, it, it is in um, uh, Luke's gospel, uh, that uh, Luke's, Luke chapter 23, that uh, he says, Luke, Luke, indicates that he had not consented to their decision and their action, that he is the one, uh, he, 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 and probably others like him, maybe like, uh, maybe folks like Nicodemus, uh, another member of the council, um, who they did not uh, agree with the actions of, of the other, of the others. Uh, so in doing that, uh, he is one who is now, one of them, but seeing the fullness of who Jesus is, looking ultimately for the coming of the kingdom of God and seeing that in the person of Jesus, that he is the one who is the fulfillment. Now, modern, uh, you know, us nowadays, uh, uh, part of this modern era, the church is always in, in some ways uh, raised up and, and honored a, 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 like people of, of the faith um, and some churches do honor even Joseph of Arimathea. The Roman Catholic Church does. The Eastern Church does. The Episcopal Church does. Um, and so, and, and even even uh, this, uh, folks like the, the the Syriac Orthodox, they in their in their chapel of the Holy Sepulchre, there is a shrine to and in honor of um, of Joseph of Arimathea. He's someone for us. Uh, as in the whole of the Christian church uh, to give thanks to God for his work within this, within the whole of the story of the life of Jesus Christ. And so even though we as El we in the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod don't um, have a specific day for him, we can still thank God, like many other saints who have gone before us, give thanks to God for his life. Fun. Uh, also a fun fact uh, he is also uh, it, the quote-unquote patron saint for funeral directors and undertakers. I thought that was just <laughs> kind of a funny, funny, fun fact. Uh, but he, he, a patron saint for funeral directors and undertakers, quote, quote unquote. <laughs> so I thought, I thought that was that was something that was That's right. neat. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you could you could see why that that association would exactly. be made. It is, exactly. you know, it's as, as you were talking about the way that we we honor saints and and and. Give Give thanks to God for for the, His faithfulness to them, and and the way that they serve faithfully in their vocations. I started looking in the front of Lutheran service book. Yeah. In the Joseph of Arimathea does not get one of the major feasts and festivals. Say like you know the Annunciation of our Lord or, or Saint Joseph the 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 
the guardian of Jesus. We celebrated his feast day in March, March 19th, but he does, he does actually get a commemoration. commemoration date. Yeah. Yeah. July 31st is the commemoration date that Lutheran service book gives for Joseph of Arimathea, a, a day to give thanks concerning what he did for our Lord in, in burying him. So a couple of things on, on Joseph as who he is, he is a member of the council. And as you said, Luke tells us very explicitly, he did not consent to what they did. It's, it's possible that he was there and didn't vote or, or gave his dissenting vote. It's also possible that he hadn't yet been gathered there for the trial of Jesus until the event had already taken place. The, the picture that Mark gives us back in chapter 14 is this, you know, what we call the kangaroo court when we talked about it and that perhaps not even the whole Sanhedrin was gathered there yet when they were convicting Jesus as they did. So he's a member of the council that, that makes him a, an unlikely person to, to believe in Jesus, but it does go to show that not every single religious leader in Israel rejected the Lord. Joseph of Arimathea was one who did not Nicodemus. You mentioned him. He also believed in Jesus. The way that Mark says of Joseph's faith that he was looking for the kingdom of God. What what does that mean? Yeah, so in looking for the kingdom of God, he's looking he's looking for the Messiah to come. He's he's one that is hopefully and ant- anticipatory, if you will, uh, towards this. Uh, you know, not just a uh, as many of uh, of the day in the day of Jesus, some sort of military release from say a Roman occup- occupation, but he's also he is. I think in his actions and his deeds, showing a desire theologically, he ha- he has he has some sort of theological acumen as to what this actually means. This isn't necessarily uh, just militarily, but it's also that he is the one who has come to save uh, the people, who who has come to be uh, you know a, the Messiah, to be the one who is anointed. Um, uh, for for the people of Israel, and so maybe he doesn't completely understand what that means, but he is uh, he is showing through his actions uh, and his deeds and his great faith in in even in the midst of fear, going to Pilate and honoring uh, Jesus uh, in, in in gathering his body in taking proper care of of the body of Jesus and making sure that there is a burial involved as well. Mm. Yeah, looking for the kingdom of God, I, I think puts him in line with, with the way Luke describes, oh, is it Simeon? I think yeah. who's waiting in the temple. And, and yeah. I mean, remember, remember that I know, I know we've, it's been, we haven't looked too much at Luke as we've been studying Mark, but, but the way that here's how Luke describes Simeon, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel or, or Anna later, she, she too was uh, worshiping and fasting uh, with fasting and prayer there in the temple. And, and she began to speak of Jesus to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. They, they, they recognize that Jesus is the one there at the very beginning of his life. And here, Joseph of Arimathea is along that same faith here after Jesus' life has ended. Absolutely. And it just shows there are, you know, whereas, you, whereas throughout the gospel, um, especially in Mark, we're seeing the Pharisees pop up and test Jesus and try to convince folks that he's not the one. There are people that are faithful. There are people that are devout and true to what the faith is, and um, and and as it's true in its truest form. That is, they are not there to be political, um, you know, to take over the political powers. But instead, they're there really as people who are longing for the coming of the Messiah, waiting for waiting for him and, and, and praying that he might, uh, he might save his people, uh, whatever, whatever that might be, whether it's, uh, you know, militarily, whether it's, uh, spiritually, what have you. Mm-hmm. The other thing about Joseph that makes him an unlikely disciple and Mark, I don't think emphasizes this, although it's evident in the fact that Joseph is able to buy a linen shroud and he's got this tomb available is that Joseph of Arimathea is a rich man. Matthew very clearly tells us that he's a rich man and yet he's a disciple of Jesus. We've heard Jesus talk about the difficulty of a rich person coming into the kingdom of God. 
here is an example of someone who is rich, who does believe in Jesus, who is looking for the kingdom of God. That's important too. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, it, 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 yeah the two, the two highlights that, that um, uh, Matthew gives to us and Mark highlights the, the, the linen shroud, but um, Matthew highlights the fact that this is, this is a, uh, this is not only is this um, Joseph of Arimathea's grave, but it's a new cut mm. grave. Uh, that is, it's not just a grave that that they that you know that they used that for for whether it be poor people or whether it be for the community that they uh, either you know buried put them into the, into the ground um, like they would for uh, for travelers or whatever, or even like a cave uh, that they that they just kind of put people in because they had nowhere else. This is a new cut grave, uh, and so a, a grave that is cut into the ground in order that they might bury. Uh, ultimately, uh, Joseph might be buried. Probably, his family members would be buried uh, there as well. So, yeah, it, it, those two things uh, Matthew especially highlights. Hmm. And we'll keep looking at how Mark highlights and what he teaches us here about the burial of Jesus on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFU. Looking at Mark 15 with Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, April 2nd. We're studying Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. We have Pastor Matt Wheatfelt with us. He's the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, prior to the break, we were talking about Joseph of Arimathea, this respected member of the council who is looking for the kingdom of God. He's a disciple of Jesus. We know he's rich. He didn't consent to the action of the council. Mark tells us that he takes courage and goes to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. What's what's so courageous about Joseph's action? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing we have to realize is that the death of Jesus doesn't come as some sort of neutral event. There they, actually had, regardless of what we want to think about um, the, the trials, whether it be the trial for the, from the Sanhedrin or the trial from Pilate, these are actual legally binding things. People are making decisions in regard to the life of an individual, the life of Jesus Christ. And so uh, when, he, when, when, when uh, Joseph goes to Pilate, he's doing this at his own risk. It's, it's quite risky asking for the body of Jesus. First, it's politically risky because Jesus was uh, essentially executed at, for treason. And uh, so he, he, he's coming to the one who has ultimately t- given his life um, or taken, sorry, taken his life um, in the person of Pilate. Secondly, he is, uh, it's also religiously and kind of religiously slash politically um, bad and risky for Joseph because Jesus was handed over to the Romans in that first trial from the Sanhedrin because of blasphemy, that was the ultimate charge that they that they brought against Jesus. I mean, they're blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemy. Now they'll bring him to they'll bring him to Pilate in regard to insurrection, which ultimately then uh, he he'll be he'll be uh, killed for for treason. But uh, yeah, so two two very risky places, both politically and kind of religiously slash politically uh, for. For Joseph of Arimathea. We already saw back in chapter 14 how Peter was unwilling to be connected to Jesus while he was on trial. Here, Joseph is willing. And and as you said, a, a number of risks at this point. Pontius Pilate has just sentenced Jesus to be crucified. It's not all that surprising to think that maybe Pilate would 
speak very harshly to someone who wanted to be connected to Jesus. So there's that political aspect. And then from a religious perspective too, I mean, and Joseph being a member of the council, it's hard to know exactly how vocal he's been about his this, his faith in in Jesus at this point. He's certainly putting more on the line here by going and will it being willing to bury Jesus. It's not all that different from from what Simon of Cyrene does. Simon is the one who's you know carries Jesus cross quite literally there in earlier in Mark's gospel. Joseph, perhaps in a, a more figurative sense, it seems, is doing what Simon did. He's willing to carry that cross, that risk of rejection, and just risk in general for the sake of being a disciple of Jesus. Absolutely. And I think it, it's something that I think it shows Joseph's, how, how great Joseph's faith really is in Jesus and his love and devotion for Jesus, that he's willing to risk everything. He's willing to give it up. He, and frankly, even his own life, that's something that uh, Pilate very easily could have could have called for. Uh, he could have called for, you know, oh, yeah, you're a friend of his. OK, off with your head, uh, in, uh, so to speak. Uh, you're going you you are now going to be crucified also because you're a friend of Jesus's. Yeah. So Joseph takes a risk. He takes courage and he goes to Pilate, asks for the body of Jesus. A lot of the the rest of the the text, or right here in the middle, deals with Pilate's surprise. You know, it kind of it, it dwells on this point for a little while. It says Pilate was surprised. He's so surprised that he says, "I need to know this." He gets the centurion says, "Go make sure," and then he actually does learn. So a lot of this, it seems that Mark is very interested in establishing for us that yes, Jesus did die. What's going on here with Pilate's surprise and the the investigation of Jesus' death? Absolutely. So Pilate, you know, initially at, at 44, Pilate is surprised to hear that Jesus is already dead, which it's, you know, it, it's almost as if Joseph was there at the crucifixion, sees Jesus's death and comes uh, to immediately comes to Pilate to ask for the body. If, what we have to realize is Pilate, I mean, there's other crucifixions going on. The Roman guards have you can't just keep go back and forth, back and forth between Golgotha and um, and, and Pilate's palace in order to let Pilate know when every single one of the prisoners died one after another. But it, it, it very easily could have been that Joseph was there. Joseph heard from uh, the other religious leaders that were there. We don't know. All we know is that Joseph ultimately winds up in front of Pilate. Crucifixion is an extremely and excruciatingly long and painful process. It is a process that uh, can take anywhere from six hours to four days, ultimately to for the person to die, uh, and depending on how the crucifixion is done. So Jesus hanging on the cross for a mere three hours, um, that's, that it's, it is surprising. It's surprising to Pilate because that's not the norm. That's not how it usually uh, goes down. We do know, though, that the, other, the others uh, that were crucified alongside of Jesus, they ended up dying uh, in a quicker way, too. They... Uh, they had, they had their legs broken uh, in order to cause asphyxiation um, uh, so that they would die sooner because the, the, the religious leaders were con didn't want to have bodies on the cross during the Passover. But when they got to Jesus, we know from the other Gospels, they see that Jesus is dead already. To make, and to make sure, what do they do? They thrust a spear and uh, it punctures uh, it punctures his lungs, it punctures his heart, and water and blood flow out um, physiologically because of uh, you know the puncturing of the heart, blood would flow out, but the puncturing of the lung, there's uh, Jesus asphyxiated. Liquid fills the lungs when uh, suffocation or asphyxiation happens, and so uh, there physiologically that's the cause. Theologically, it gives us a beautiful picture of, uh, of, 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 of the sacraments, of uh, coming from the side of Jesus in water and in blood. And many artists have used that uh, to highlight 
what is going on. My favorite is Lucas Cranach. Uh, in in uh, I have a picture. I have his one of his great uh, great pictures uh, with with the crucifixion of Jesus and water and blood flowing out on. Um, on one of the, I, I always forget who the prince is, but Luther standing next to him, pointing at, um, pointing at the text that this is this is this is what was supposed to happen, and forgiveness of sins is, is received here. And but uh, all that to say um, that this is a long, long process, and uh, you know, continuing on, uh, Pilate then sends for the centurion. We see the centurion uh, in verse 39. Uh, he's the one who, who makes the proclamation, this certainly was the son of God. And so the centurion uh, comes down, tells Pilate what happened, and that Jesus is actually dead. And ultimately, uh, Pilate grants Joseph Jesus's body. And uh, in doing that, you know, I think he's really showing how important the body is how one should really um, honor and revere the body, uh, the body of whether it's Jesus's body or our own bodies. It, these are, these are special vessels given to us by, by the Lord. And uh, Joseph takes great care as we'll see going on in 45 and 46 of the body of Jesus, even after Jesus's Jesus's brutalized uh, prior to the crucifixion and is just ultimately destroyed uh, through the, through the act of crucifixion. Hmm. Uh, That's a, that's a good point to make. We we've talked about this previously when we were talking about all of the suffering that Jesus endures on his way to the cross and how there's maybe a tendency for us to sanitize that in our minds. And we need to, to see the full brutality of it. I think the same is true with, with Jesus burial. It's, it's easy for us to think of this as a rather uh, clean process, but I mean, no, this is not, this is, I mean, you'd have to picture Joseph becoming, you know, covered in Jesus own blood and, and all of the, I mean, just, this is a, a very loving act that we're seeing from Joseph just in, in that perspective of, of how much he himself actually, you know, goes through to bury Jesus, all of the, the difficulty that that would have entailed. This wasn't a, a pretty process. You know, I mean, it's interesting that you, you talk about Joseph as the, the quote patron saint of, of funeral directors and morticians. And, you know, that process of death and dying is almost so far removed from us these days that we forget the ugly reality of death. Sometimes that comes face to face with Joseph here, particularly in the death of our Lord. And and, and he does it willingly and gladly. I, I do want to spend more time talking about that before I, I lose that po- a point, though. One thing that I do think is important here in this investigation is the fact that Jesus has actually died. It, I mean, you, you brought up from John's gospel, how the, the spear goes into Jesus' side and, and the water and blood come out. He has actually died. There, there are those opponents of Christianity who have suggested over the years, well, maybe Jesus just swooned is the way they usually, you know, he fainted on the yeah. cross. <laughs> the gospel is very clear. Jesus died. And, and Mark's thoroughness here indicates to that very clearly. Jesus has died, and that's good news because that means he died for you. Uh, Pastor Wheatfelt, let's move then from that to the care that Joseph shows to Jesus' body. Uh, what does he do for Jesus? How is this so so important? So uh, Joseph buys a, a linen shroud, and um, that, that's that's where we that's where we pick up then at forty six. So Joseph goes and buys. Uh, a linen shroud and uh, goes on and ultimately then wraps Jesus in that linen shroud. And uh, this, this is, this is, uh, this is something that is commonly done um, for, for, uh, and there's great love, there's great care done in this, but this linen shroud is also an, ex- an expensive piece of, of fabric. Uh, it's, it's expensive due to, uh, the nature of the material, it, it's expensive because of the purpose uh, of, of what, what this is for. And so it, there, there's great expense wrapped up, uh, no pun intended, in that uh, as well. But then he wraps Jesus in that shroud, lays him into the tomb cut out of the rock. I mean, it just shows the respect that Joseph has 
for Jesus. The other Gospels say that it's a new tomb, that nobody else has laid in it. And I think that's another important piece uh, to highlight as well against those who would say, oh, you know, the the, the women found the wrong tomb and uh, this wasn't really the one or there were other people in there and, you know, the bodies are hidden, blah, blah, blah. No, there's one body in one tomb and ultimately then a stone will be rolled in front of it. A guard will be set in front of it. And uh, when, when, when Easter Sunday comes, Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And that's the way that it is. So, yeah, Joseph takes great care. He lays him uh, in the tomb. Uh, and there's just such, I mean, in the, in the way that the, the way that the Greek reads, it's so gently and, 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 and simply done that he is, this is who Joseph is. He's one that cares for the person uh, of our Lord. Uh, and I think it just goes to show in his actions, as we saw um Previously, when it said, when when the text says that Jesus is, or that Joseph, excuse me, Joseph is one waiting for the for waiting for the coming of the kingdom, uh, he he believed and made and probably still believes that 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 there is going to be some fulfillment of that in the person of Jesus, just not knowing how that is going to finally happen and how that is going to be completely worked out, and so he. In, in, then in, at the end of 46, Joseph rolls the tomb in front of the entrance, marking the completion of his work. The thing that he had set out to do at the beginning of 40, 42, he now finds himself at the completion of that task. That it's not, it's something that wasn't wi- done willy-nilly, that wasn't done in a way that is uh done like many of the tasks that we do where it can be started and stop started and stop no he put his in in in, in uh, you know in, in, in uh, farm terms he put his head to the plow and went on and did his task until it was completed and uh, that's it's a very admirable thing because again this is not a pretty task um, it is not a pretty task in the least 47 concludes then uh, with Mary with the with the Marys uh, seeing where Jesus was laid, simply noting that, um, hey, uh, when, when Easter Sunday comes, the Marys didn't get the wrong tomb. No, they saw exactly where Jesus was laid. They watched. They've watched the whole thing. They've watched Jesus carry the cross to Golgotha. They've watched Jesus die on the cross. They watched Jesus' body being taken off the cross. They watched Joseph put Jesus into the tomb. And now Easter Sunday morning when they come and they don't find it in the tomb— they know exactly where that spot is. Yeah, the the mention of the women multiple times in the passion narrative is really important, establishing them as witnesses, and and particularly as you say that that they did not go to the wrong tomb. So, say that tomb shows up empty three days later. Spoiler alert: <laughs> they went to the right tomb. There's the explanation for it is that he is alive, as as Jesus will accomplish, as and we'll see that in the next chapter. Pastor Weevil, we got just about ten minutes here reflecting upon this text, the burial of Jesus. Again, it's it's something that I think obviously we confess it in the creed. We know it's important, but maybe we don't pause and, and ponder it all that much. With with ten minutes, what are some uh, why is this an important event for us as Christians to meditate upon, to consider? What do we gain by by learning the burial of Jesus? Absolutely. So first and foremost, and I think this is one of my favorite parts of uh, when it, whether it's the Tenebrae service or the Traora service uh, or the, 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 the great, the, the, fi- the, 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 the full service on Good Friday is the, the, the reading of the, the, the compilation, the synopsis of, of what is, how, how everything, ha- what all happens to Jesus. And then at this moment, when, when, Jesus is, when Jesus dies and is buried, things just slow down. Um, in, in, in many ways, what this shows to us is that everything that happens to Jesus happens to us. But Jesus, the way that is, Jesus was born, we are born. Jesus lives, we live. Jesus dies, we die. 
But because Jesus died and was buried and, and was raised, so our death and burial and ultimate rising on the, 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 the last day um, and being brought up to heaven, that is all possible because of the work of Jesus. Uh, we can't. We have to. We have to have that as our focus. So that everything that, that that happens to Jesus happens to us, and he. It is only through him that we are able to truly have the hope of life everlasting. Um, also, and I think it's also you know in that same vein, um, it's it's so beautiful to see all of the different things that are done. Uh, to the body of Jesus. It, it, it causes us and should cause us to pause and ponder these things that in a time that is much more brutal than our time today, where death was something ta- almost taken for granted, where uh, torture like this in this way is commonplace, that the care for the body of our Lord was just was done in a way that is reverent and beautiful. It's just, it's something, it is something really to, to consider, to mark and consider and to give thanks to God for that, uh, that, that, that there is a great love and respect for our Lord and for his body. It's all done purposefully with love and with devotion. Even if the, even if, even if Jesus is dead, there's still great love. Finally, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is something to say about the dignity uh, that, that is shown to Jesus as a model for how we deal with our dead. Um, and again, uh, as I said before, we know full well what, a lo- what lies ahead of us. We know what lies ahead of our f- friends and families in the faith. That because Jesus died for our sins, we are forgiven. Because Jesus was laid in the tomb, so our graves are only but a sleep for us. They are only but a resting place. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we will rise again to new life in him and because of him. So there's there's reason to rejoice as we ponder uh, these words, as we, you know, really slow things down, uh, considering this. So I would, I would, I would, uh, I would uh, ask our listeners, yeah, please, as you are, as you're meditating on this, whether it be today, whether it be Good Friday and future Good Fridays, wherever it might be, you know, consider, you know, praying, praying on this text that uh, it would continue to find a place and not be. Not be you know glossed over, but let it let let the words of our Lord have their way with us in order to convict us uh, when when we err and when we sin, but also to receive them as gospel and forgiveness as they are the words of Christ. When I think about the burial of Jesus, one of the texts that comes to my mind is in Romans chapter six, where Paul is talking about holy baptism. And he particularly mentions the fact that Christ was buried, you know, and, and that, as, as you said, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then he says these wonderful words, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And, and I think the burial is, in, is part and parcel to that. If we've died with him, if we've been buried with him, then we will certainly be raised with him. Absolutely. I mean, this is the the burial. The way I, I like to, to think of it is that when Jesus was buried, he, he left sin and death and everything in there that all of that, that evil and wickedness and sin that he had carried with him on the cross, he put it in the grave in his burial and it's there now. And, and it's not with you anymore because that's where Jesus left it in his grave. And, and as you were talking about, you know, the way that we, we 
treat our dead and the way that we approach death. I'm, I'm reminded of a, there's a fantastic evening hymn. One of the great things about having midweek Lenten services is that you get to sing those evening hymns that maybe you don't, it seems kind of strange to sing sometimes the evening hymns in the morning of a, yeah. on a Sunday. <laughs> but uh, the, the hymn, All Praise to Thee, My God This Night, has this beautiful stanza. Uh, it's number 883 in Lutheran service book, and it stanza three it says, Teach me to live that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. Teach me to die that so I may rise glorious as the, at the awful day. And when we look at the way Jesus was buried, and when we consider our own burial practices, how, what a wonderful opportunity to confess the truth of the resurrection, that just as Jesus rested on the Sabbath and then rose to new life on Easter, so we rest. We have our Sabbath in the grave only to be raised on the the ultimate Easter, the last day when Christ returns and, and raises us from the grave to eternal life. Pastor Wheatfelt, final thoughts with about two minutes here. Absolutely. It's, I think that that's just spot on. We, we fear the, we fear the grave as little as we, sh- we should fear the grave as little as it is that we fear going to sleep. And, uh, you know, I think even the close, what I found is the closer, the closer that, um, when I was in the parish, the closer my parishioners got, uh, to that suspected day. None of us know the day or the hour when the Lord is going to call us home. But, you know, as it, members got older and older, the, the, the more fond they felt that, um, you know, th- that that final day would be. And uh, they, they, they welcomed it. Or, or I think of my, my grandma, who's, uh, who's 96. And, uh, you know, I always think, you know, is this, you know, this time that we've see, we see her, is this the last time we're going to see her? But every time, we say goodbye. Um, she she always reminds us that you know if if, you know, if it is the last that she, you know she she is excited. She is excited to see her savior because she knows full well that it is in him that she has life, and she she goes to sleep without fear. And I pray that um, all of those listening uh, to us uh, this morning would would also go to. Go, go into whether it be go to your work, go to your go to your school, but live your live your live your days without fear, knowing that uh, regardless of when the Lord calls you home, He is the one who calls. He is the one who is faithful, and He is the one who saves you from your sins and gives the promise of new life. Pastor Matt Wheatfelt is the director of admissions and the director of the Christ Academy program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us this morning with Mark 15 verses 42 through 47. Pastor Wheatfelt, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Pastor Oppold. Always a pleasure being with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Mark chapter 15 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Have a blessed Good Friday and Holy Saturday and a joyous celebration of Easter on Sunday. Talk to you again next week. <music>